Well, between communion and the songs we've sung this morning, I hope you've gotten the idea that the, centra- the centrality, the central nature of everything we do is about God and who he is and what he's already done and what he continues to do. You see, we get to be part of God at work. And I get to show you what that means in a pretty tangibly simple way. And I waited to do this because I want you to make sure you see it. We talked about it last week, and of course it's not going to light, so my metaphor is going to fade a little bit. There we go. Hopefully it'll... Okay. A candle is lit there. The wick is like that small. I should have checked that ahead. That's, that's on me. But here's the thing. When we get to light that candle, it represents that our church family has gotten the distinct privilege of being part of God's work at transforming a life and welcoming him into the family or her. And a couple weeks ago, we told you about our dear sister Erida was able to see her mom come to know Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. How awesome is that? Her mom now has the light and life of Jesus Christ at work in and through her. And we are thrilled by that. Well, I am. I mean, the rest of you are you're not sure yet. Typically, we would be really excited and we would cheer right now. We're not there at that moment. So, you know, I'll give, I'll give you a chance here in a minute. But why are we excited about that? It's not that there is a record, a ledger upstairs that's keeping track of how many people we've saved and baptized this year. We do keep track of those things because it helps us know how we're doing. But it's much more that we know that someone that was condemned has now been set free. That someone that was dead has now been brought to life. That someone that was struggling, they may still struggle, but now they know there's hope and there's purpose and there's meaning and it's for all eternity. And that frames how we as a church family live and move throughout our world because we're an international church. And so that means we, have, we get to have an impact in Hong Kong. We get to have an impact just north of us and east in us, of west of us and south of us. And we get to be part of God's plan. And with that means there's a mission with which we as a church are all about doing. So when I get to light that candle and I say, someone has come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, how do we respond? You know what? I'm going to be honest. If all of the angels in heaven rejoice every time someone comes to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, I think we should be about standing ovations. So the next time the candle's lit, let's let's get a little better. Can we do that? It is that exciting. Like, I think we've lost the awe of who God is. And my prayer is that over the next few months, as we focus this morning on mission, not missions, that's different, that's the end of my message, the mission, what God has called AIC to do, last week was the vision, clarifying who we are so that we can see clearly, hence why I've got my glasses on. I forgot them yesterday, it was a lot harder. But today we move from the focal point of glorifying God by loving Christ, loving one another and reaching the world, dead center. Everything we do starts with the glory of God. Well, then today we ask, how are we going to do that? 
How do we do that and why did we come up with these? These are, you know, you see it at the bottom. I've already let you in on the sermon so you don't have to listen anymore. Do it anyway because you might learn something. But these four G's that we've got plus the glory of God centered in the middle point us to a biblical pattern throughout all of scripture that we see time and time again that God has given his people a role in his work. Now, I get to use an illustration. It fell a little flat yesterday in our Saturday group. I'm hoping today is a new day because we've got many generations represented here that hopefully you'll connect with one or two versions of the story I'm about to say. But back in the 60s, there was an, maybe it was the 70s, there was a TV show. And at some point in every episode, Ethan Hunt was invited to choose to accept or reject a mission he had been given. And back then, it went something like this. He would put in a record, and he would listen to that message he was given, and it would say, Mr. Hunt, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is blah, 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 go save this person, go rescue this, go find this file, whatever. Then Tom Cruise came around in the mid-90s, so that's my generation, And he made it cooler with exploding helicopters and trains and jumping off. And that was really exciting. But then he made two more movies or one more movie and it was less cool. And so they had to rebrote. So they waited 10 years and they made it again. But every single movie has the same line in it at least once. Your mission, should you choose to accept it. See, everyone that has been adopted into the the family of God has been given a mission. We have already been called. Our calling is clear. Now, there's specific parts of what we are called to do, vocational and ministry-wise, that we have to work out. But our basic calling is already there, to glorify God by loving Christ and loving others as we show the world who he is. That's our call. That's what God's word tells us. It's not a secret. We do that by making disciples of all nations. Okay, that's, that never changes obedience out of love, not love out of obedience. We've got to make sure we get the order right. Out of who God is, his ravishing beauty, this guy just Donnie talked about that I mentioned last week. What's the most beautiful thing you've ever seen? Outside, there's two that always come to mind every time I do it. One is I was standing in a room and about this far to where the back of the room is, a woman in a white wedding dress stood and gave me a wink. Because she was mine. And she was about to come down the aisle, and she's still very hot. And I love her. I can say that. She's upstairs. And she won't yell at me. Izzy, don't tell her. I forget I've got a kid in church now. <sighs> but then I also think about, uh, you know me, I, I like to be outdoors and I like to hike. And I've told you before about a place called the Shuckstack Tower that overlooks the Smoky Mountains. And at one point, my friend and I hiked up before sunrise, and we climbed up this fire tower, which basically, they built these towers all over the Smoky Mountains to, for um, forest rangers to look at to make sure none of the forest is on fire. And if it is, they've got a bird's eye view of where the fire is to hopefully stop it ahead of time. But watching the sunrise over Gregory Bald and over the other mountains, which names I can't remember off the top of my head, was one of the most beautiful things I had ever seen. It was like every color God had created was coming out at once because we were there in the autumn. So the leaves were changing and you saw it all under the radiance of the sun coming through the mist. And I just remember thinking, 
Wow. And that's just like a billionth of a fraction of the size of this world. And that's what God is doing right now. And it was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. But all of that pales into comparison to what we see that God has done through his son, Jesus Christ, in us. And then he invites us in to that work. He invites us into the beauty. He says, you are mine, and I want to show the world who I am through you. So that gives us a mission that we want to accomplish. And you could look anywhere in the scriptures, and you could see this taking place, because our mission is, hopefully all of you have this. You got one of these? Great. Well, you will see pretty clearly what our mission is. And I've already filled in the blanks for you so that you don't have to be nervous that I don't cover them. But I'd like to read to you. The elders and under shepherds have been working on this for a few months and we, we refined it. And I want you to see it and then I'll begin to work through it and see where we get it and how consistent scripture is that these are key elements and they're really excited. Um, and so we're just gonna keep going. But we will accomplish the vision of AIC to glorify God by loving Christ, loving one another, and reach the world by gathering together to glorify him and enjoy him corporately. I don't care where you read the scripture, it was never done in solitude. It was never meant to be a journey of just you and God. There are times and there is a definite need for a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, but out of that personal relationship with Jesus Christ is supposed to come a corporate relationship with one another. Because how we interact with one another shows the world a picture of God that they don't get to see otherwise. It happened in the Old Testament. People were called from all over to gather at the tabernacle and then later on the temple. What were they to do? Two things. Honor God, offer sacrifices and worship God and hang out and eat together. So we're going to worship God today and then we're going to hang out and we're going to eat together. And who knows, you might get to know somebody you've never met before. Most of you are going to get to know Pastor Stan and Marianne and you haven't met them yet. There you go. There's one. And there's more. So we get that first bit of we're going to gather together to grow and to enjoy God. When we come into this room, do we look forward to encouraging one another to just enjoy that we get to be together in the presence of the Lord? Now, by the way, God is always with us. This is not a special room. I mean, we could have done better you know, if we wanted. But our point is that this is a room that God has given us that is used all throughout the week in a bunch of other different ways that God is still there. Whether the walls are closed and the projectors are on or not, God is still with us no matter where we are. And we should be excited about enjoying him together, just like in your community groups. And, and, and I'll un, unpack that in a few minutes. But then the next thing we, we want to do is we're going to grow, we're going to be growing together by making disciples of all ages. Why didn't I say all nations? Well, I think it's, it's kind of assumed in the fact that the name of our church is Alliance. What, really? We don't know our middle name? <laughs> what, what's the middle name of our church? International. Do we know what the word international stands for? 
Well, here you go. Let me make it real simple for you. Not all of you can vote today. Okay? If you can't vote, you're not officially from here for seven years. doesn't mean this isn't your home. Please don't misunderstand. But we are from all sorts of places. I look over to this side, and in the first four rows, I see, just off the top of my head, I see America, I see Hong Kong, I see the Philippines, I see Australia. And I could keep going. I could look over the next row. We've got New Zealand. We've got mainland China. It just keeps going. Taiwan, you know, Singapore. It's amazing that we get to be together. Of course, we're not always going to agree. Look at all the places we've grown up and grown. But we get to be together. And as that, we want to grow in our love and knowledge and depth of insight of who Jesus Christ is. So we're going to grow together of all ages because we take our children And our wisest people, that was a strategic choice of words there, our elders very seriously. Whether you're the youngest kid in our church or the wisest adult, you are of so much value to God that he brought you to us and placed you here with great purpose. And we, no matter what age you are, want to do all we can to help you experience the glory and goodness of God through a vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ. We're going to grow together of all ages. Then that next bit is the one that I get real excited about. We're going to give of our time, resources, and abilities in kingdom work. Psalm 27, 4, one thing I would ask, one thing I would seek of the Lord, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever, that I may gaze upon his beauty. Better is one day in your courts, better is one day in your house than thousands elsewhere. We sang about it, we talked about it already this morning. What's the one thing in our life that directs every one of our movements? Every move I make, I make in you, Lord. All of these songs point to the same principle, that there is an overriding manifesto of our life that drives us to glorify God in all we do, that helps us make decisions. God is what I'm about to do honoring you. God is what I'm about to do using all you have given me in a way that's pleasing to you, to whom much is given, much is expected. That's for teachers, but it can be for anyone. So we we think about these things. And then finally, we get the idea of going next door and across the world, there you go, international, to proclaim the greatness, proclaim there. Remember a few weeks ago, we talked about how there's two words for preach often used in the New Testament. And one is usually said preach and the other is proclaim or testify. Our lives are to be telling the story of God at work in us and throughout all time that we see right here. It should excite us to get to tell people how God is working. And sometimes it's messy. You know what? Sometimes life is hard. And that's where, that was all introduction to what this diagram looks like so that I can unpack it and say that it's not just Mike's idea. So if you turn your papers over, you'll see that I printed out just in case anyone was missing any sort of device that could show them the word of God. Uh, I printed out all of our scripture for this morning. That's Romans chapter 15. Because throughout the second half of Romans, we've been given this picture of our identity, of how 
we have this war waging uh, within us that why do I do what I don't want to do and why don't I do what I want to do? In other words, there's this sinful nature in us that we have to hand over to God. And as we do, we can offer ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to him. This is our spiritual act of worship. So Paul is teaching the church what it means to have that personal and that corporate, because later on then he says, use your gifts to honor God to build up the saints or, or the, your fo- fellow brothers, regardless of what level they are in their spiritual journey. Don't kick those that are weaker than you. He almost literally uses that language. Don't, don't cause them, don't be a stumbling block to others. But then it's like Paul wants to squeeze in, and I'm a, I'm a pastor, so I do this a lot. You want to squeeze in that one more thing, but you've got 10 more one more things? Well, that's Romans 15. Paul's wrapping up his letter, and so he wants to squeeze it all in and tell us, hey, guys, don't forget this, 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 and this. But as you listen to these words, you see it's all there. God's heart for the church. God's confidence that in obedience to him, we can do amazing things. Paul taught us that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So let's look at uh, Romans 15. I'm going to start in verse 5, and I'm going to read down to about verse 14. You could read the whole thing, but just listen along and then begin to envision what a mission uh, might look like as, as Paul is writing this just as much to our church as he was to the church in Rome. Starting with verse 5. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. Well, if we've got endurance and encouragement, and which is something Paul writes about often, keep pressing on, keep encouraging each other to press on no matter what's going on in life. And oh, by the way, it's best if you have the same attitude as that of Jesus Christ, who, which was his attitude, Philippians teaches us, who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but took on the very nature of a servant and made himself nothing. So in other words, remember as you're walking through life, take on the attitude of a servant, one that would give himself up for the glory of God. One that would do anything to show people the light and life that comes through knowing Jesus Christ. Because that's what Jesus has done for us. So the first thing we're encouraged there is to have the mind of Christ. Something Paul talks a lot about. And you'll hear me say as we go through our next weeks. And I will introduce our next sermon series at the end of today. So that... With one mind and one voice, you may glorify God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice, how does he say we're going to glorify God the Father through Jesus Christ? Read into the text there. With one mind and one voice. Does, what does that indicate? Does that mean we're all standing on an island by ourselves? Is that what he means there? English teachers, is this a singular or a plural tense? It's plural. I didn't think it was hard. We'll have an English lesson later on. Okay. He is saying to the church, let's get together. Get used to being together. Get used to encouraging one another. You need each other to make it through life. 
And in so doing, as you raise your voices, as you walk through life, you're honoring God. So here's the thing. When we gather together and have lunch and welcome the Tysons, God is glorified. When I eat my Hofan and my Shinzo Taomine, God is glorified because I'm doing it with my church family. Don't cheer. My t- Cantonese is terrible. I know that, but I can get those two dishes. So here's the thing. You may not get along with everyone in this room. I, I don't really care. Because God made you in his very image, and we are called, just right here, I mean, it's so clear, With endurance and encouragement, we're praying that God will give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. Being a servant, loving with the sacrificial love that Jesus, that we just remembered, that Jesus Christ has given us. And so how do we grow to love someone that we, you know, we don't even really want to be around? Spend time with them. You might not be the same personality. There might be people you don't click with naturally. But if you understand the underlying theme that Paul has been writing from Romans 1 on, you know two things. One, that we are all sinful beings. Two, that through Jesus Christ, we have been justified. We have been set free from our sin and God has given us the righteousness of Jesus Christ. In so doing, we can look at the world with the same grace that God has given us through Jesus Christ. So while you may struggle with me personally, I'm still a child of God. And I know you want grace from God. So do you think maybe we could give grace to each other? And as we learn to do that with each other, It spreads. It's contagious. So why do we gather together? Why is that our first point? Gathering together glorifies God. It's right there in verse uh, 5 and 6. And as we gather together, we learn to love one another because we see them as God's people. And as we grow in that, we realize that, oh man, my arch nemesis at work that isn't a Christian I'm learning to love them and see that they have value in God's eyes and can treat them differently because that pleases God. And if I really struggle with it, I know I've got a church family that's going to help me deal with them, that's going to help me listen well, to, to listen often, to speak slowly, and to be slow to become angry. You see, when we gather together, We grow to be more like Jesus as we encourage one another. That brings us to our next point. We get the privilege of learning together. One of the great things I do in any given month is I talk with different people from different, we call them in in the the Protestant faith, different denominations. In other words, uh, theologically, they might see something a little differently, whether it's they're they're more... uh, charismatic, which is excellent, or maybe they're a little more what we would call liturgical. There's a a great order to their exaltation of Christ. And I get to hang out with different people that do this. And you know what? I get to learn from them that my, my scope of vision is increased and I'm given this greater picture of who God is because I get to see it from other eyes. 
Well, as we read the scriptures and as we get together and grow together in Jesus Christ, our vision and our perspective is expanded. Look at what Paul says in verses 13 and 14. This again, he's praying for his people, for the church that he cares so deeply about. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, we're praying that all of us have powerful hope in God. And as we do that, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. <laughs> Interesting, that last bit. Oh, you know, Pastor Mike, I'm not, I'm not qualified to teach somebody. I'm, I, I couldn't disciple somebody. I'm not far enough along in my faith. I can't, I'm not, I can't, I won't. I, and we like our qualifications. We like the letters before and after our names. But notice the verse that Paul starts with. May the God of hope fill you with all joy, all peace, as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of his Holy Spirit. If our hope is in him and he is who he says he is, remember what Jesus said? He will send us a teacher to counsel us, to guide us, and to prepare us, and to open our eyes, and that we can then, by the power of the Holy Spirit, invite others along in the journey to grow to be more like Jesus Christ. So my bigger question isn't whether you're qualified to disciple someone. My bigger question is, who are you inviting just to walk with you as you grow together? Maybe they're going to teach you as much as you teach them. Maybe as you open the word of God, he's going to use their questions to completely change your perspective in a healthy way. So when AIC says we're committed to growing together by making disciples of all ages, we're doing it together Why am I passionate about you getting to be part of a community group? So that you can sit around a table, so that you can sit in a room and you can wrestle. Not physically wrestle. Should have prefaced that. You can wrestle with what's going on in life. If there's celebration, you break out the champagne and you celebrate. Or sparkling grape juice, if you prefer. If there's struggle, you get down and we walk with each other in those moments of struggle. In the last year, our community group suffered three deaths of parents and loved ones. Three? Yeah. Uh, We suffered three deaths, uh, one birth, and multiple life changes throughout. And the cool thing was we got into a habit throughout this process of we were going to find something to celebrate every week we meet. Because God's always at work. And one of our group members that's sitting here with us today just inspired us said, it's always a good week to celebrate. And so every week we find something to celebrate. But we also seek to love people through the journey. We are called to grow together. We need each other. So the first part is we got to gather together. We can't grow together if we're not together. <laughs> we can grow, but the best way to do it is in community. That's why we have community. If you want to go even deeper, get involved in a discipleship class. The two right now, they're heavy stuff. They're great material for you adults. I encourage you to make time to grow together 
It's an excellent opportunity that we get to give. And then the next one. So we gather together in in various settings from discipleship groups to community groups to this where we corporately worship together. We grow in love and knowledge and depth of insight in who Jesus is and we spur one another on. We instruct each other to be more like Jesus and we help each other along the journey as we grow. Then next, we give of our abilities, resources, and time. God made you on purpose. I want to ask you, do you believe that? Do you believe that God made you the way he wanted? Because if you do, you'll know that he's got a plan for you. And that as you live in the fullness of that plan, there is great meaning in your work, in how you live with your family, in how you interact with your coworkers in how you walk through life because you know that God's ways are bigger than your ways and he's pointing you toward him. I got to see this in action the past couple weeks. Uh, My children returned to school this week and that was a bit of bitter sweetness for us because we love having them home, but we can't wait to get them out. Uh, I think most parents might understand that. That was a new thing. But one of the new things was one of our kids has a, a new teacher this year. This is their, their first year teacher. And you could tell on the first day they were, they were getting used to their surroundings. But you know what we've been able to see as the week has gone on? That that teacher has just grown in confidence knowing that they are exactly where God has placed them. The timing was weird and, and we, we don't understand how it happened. But they're doing a great job and they're obeying the Lord's will for their lives. And God is using them in mighty ways. How awesome is that? Because they were obedient to the Lord and they trusted him even when it was dark. Now that teacher is shaping other lives and pointing them to Jesus Christ. I know this because my kid comes home with verses and songs of who God is. You see, when we're obedient to the Lord, when we Romans 12, 1 and 2 it, we say, I'm offering myself as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to you, God. Use me. I know you've given me abilities. Help me to use my abilities to honor you. Help me to use my resources to honor you. You see, one of the things that uh, was introduced to our children's ministry this morning is uh, they're doing a a fundraiser right now, not for our church, but for NewSight. Many of you are aware of what NewSight is. NewSight literally provides sight to the blind in Congo, where there is one eye hospital in really most of the country. And the, the amount of blindness that could be saved is astronomical if there are resources and people available to do the simple surgeries, like cataract surgery, like basic surgeries. And Joyce and Henri uh, Samatu are there investing in loving, but not only are they providing sight to the blind, they're planting churches all over. We were able, through some of your generosity, through the resources God has given you that you passed on to others, we were able to provide them with a vehicle to get to numerous places so they could tell people about the love and hope that we have in Jesus Christ. So the kids right now are being invited to practice the joy of generosity. And they're being given a picture of, we know exactly how much it costs for every eye surgery. So we're trying to raise that we can give sight to, I think it's a hundred people. You see, when we give generously, it enables the church to give away more and more to God's work in places like Bulacan, 
in the Philippines where we've got a church planting team that is investing in children and some amazing things are happening. We get to see God at work in the country to our north and how God is using teachers to show people the love of Christ and how those people then go off and invite their friends to know Jesus Christ. Story after story of people being given hope because we can support financially and some of you are willing to go. We give of our abilities, of our time, and of our resources. And finally, as we finish up, Listen to what Paul says in verses 8 through 12. Really, he's professing who Jesus is. He's just reminding that Jesus is for all people. And he says, For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed. In other words, that everything God said would happen would be done. And moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. And then he goes on and he shows us how even in the Old Testament, God was making a way for the Gentiles, for people like us to come to know him as our Lord and Savior. And if you go back a couple chapters, Paul asks the question, how will they know unless someone goes? How will they hear unless someone preaches? And you see, this idea of preaching is scary because some of you think it's this. And this is preaching, by the way. This is me giving a testimony of what God is showing us as a church family and where he's leading us. He is leading us to gather together corporately. He is leading us to grow together as disciples. That as we grow, we get excited about giving of our money, giving of our abilities, and giving of our time. And he is leading us to go next door and across the world to show people the love of Jesus Christ. But so often we think that it's so scary to tell someone about Jesus. And you're right. That's why it's so important that we do it in the context of relationships. Because I feel like evangelism is an awful lot like the game of golf. I know. And and you need to know that I am an absolutely terrible golfer. But the amazing thing is that as terrible as I am, I still like to golf. Because I love one, I love nature, you've heard me say that. But the great thing about golf is you just, to to be successful at golf, you gotta keep going. No matter how long it takes, you keep going. And every swing, no matter what, you've made some sort of progress. How true is that of our spiritual life? That we have to keep going. So often we think that evangelism is we have to beat somebody over the head until they believe in Jesus. That is not our job. Our job is to walk with people, let them know who Jesus is, and pray that the Holy Spirit would transform their heart. Because it is Him at work in and through us to do good works. And so we continue to walk with people and expose them to the ravishing beauty and the greatness of God through his son, Jesus Christ. And we know that the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us leads us day by day in that journey, that we never know which day might be the day those people we're walking with in life are ready to hear the reason for the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. And at that point, you kind of put it in. That's why I think evangelism is an awful lot like golf. Because we're aiming toward the whole but sometimes it takes some people longer than others to get there. We're not going to give up on them. 
I've golfed with some of you in this room that are very good golfers, and you've always been very patient with me as I go like this, and you go like this. How many people in their spiritual walk do we know that are going like this, that need someone to walk with them in a straight line that says, come on, keep aiming back here. Keep coming back toward Jesus. He's got you. He wants you. And I'm going to walk with you no matter whether you accept him. I'm still going to love you. But I want you to know there's so much hope through Jesus Christ. And that as they accept Jesus, as they, that, that achievement has come through what Jesus has done in them, then we point them to gather together in the family to learn to glorify God. And that process is repeated. What is our mission, my church family? Our mission is to gather together and enjoy God corporately. And in so doing, we glorify him as we grow in Jesus Christ. We grow and we will intentionally chase people down to help them grow. Yeah, you're busy. But aren't we too busy not to love people? Aren't we too busy not to show people the love that Christ has given us? And as we do that, we invite people, say, hey, you're really just supernaturally special in this area. Why don't you help others with this? Why don't you use that ability, that resource, whatever it might be, for the glory of God? Why don't you serve? And if there's not an opportunity open for you today, why don't you talk to the leadership of the church and who knows what God might be asking you to do. Entrepreneurship was a huge part of the New Testament spreading of the church. We had fabric dealers. We had tent makers. We had all sorts of different vocations of people that were used to honor God as they moved in relationship together. And as we do that, Who could we go tell today and tomorrow about the love of Jesus Christ? What if God was stirring in our hearts that maybe now's the time to get really involved in missions, to go into our trips to to Kaiping and Jongsan, to go down and help in church planting efforts in Congo or in the Philippines or in Kolkata where we have works already going on? Would we be a church that just like Paul was praying for his church in Romans 15, that above all, that the church is filled with the hope that God has given us, full of joy and encouragement and endurance, that gathers together, growing in Christ, giving freely and going wherever the Lord leads? Would that be who AIC can be? no matter what our age is? Let's pray. Lord, your word is just so exciting. You use it to transform hearts and minds. And I pray that you would be the center, as Justin prayed earlier, that you would be our center, that everything we do is for your glory, that we would gather together joyfully so we could encourage each other, that we would grow to be more like Jesus and help others to do the same. Lord, help us to give. Help us to have enough faith in you to give joyfully with what you've given us, whether it's our time, our abilities, or our finances. And Lord, I I just pray that we wouldn't be afraid to go next door or across the world, that that your 
gospel truth of Jesus Christ would burn so much within us that we can't help but take you everywhere. But Lord, help us to do it together, knowing that we need each other each day. In your glorious name we pray, amen.